Grace and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for our sermon continues a mini-series through the first epistle to the Corinthians, as recorded in chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. Brothers, I'm making an appeal to you using the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I ask that you all express the same view and not have any divisions among you, but that you be joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. For the news I heard about you, my brothers, from members of Chloe's household, is that there are rivalries among you. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one could say that I baptized you into my own name. I also baptized the house of Stephanus. Besides them, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom used in speeches, so that the cross of Christ would not be emptied of its power. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we hear the horror stories and sometimes in movies and in stories we, we especially focus on. Imagine living in a country where you had an oppressive government and they controlled all forms of media. So everything you got was propaganda and you had no idea what was really going on in your country or in the world around you. That's our natural condition, brothers and sisters in Christ. The devil came with the first lie. Adam and Eve believed him and stopped believing in a gracious God, reached to the fruit, and ever since then, we live in a world of darkness. And one of the greatest darknesses, we come to Scripture and we read it, and in our own sinful nature, we've been programmed by the devil and the world in our own sinful nature to constantly read that God is saying, you have to be good enough and you have to earn your salvation. What a miserable life that is. What a miserable darkness to be in slavery and not even realize, not even realize, because you don't know any better, the freedom you have in the Savior Jesus Christ. Isaiah had prophesied in our first lesson in Isaiah chapter 9 that the region of Zebulon and Naphtali, the first to fall when the Assyrians came, two tribes that seemed fairly insignificant among the twelve, would be the ones to whom the light would dawn. In our gospel lesson in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, we see that fulfilled. Jesus kind of set up Capernaum as the base city for most of where he would reach out in his proclamation of the word as he stayed in the, primarily in the region of Galilee. But even among the Gentiles, a light has dawned. The light of Christ that shows us true forgiveness exposes our slavery. Do you know the problem is... Like with the sun, you can always tell the time if you just look at the shadow you cast because there's a part that blocks the light. But brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus Christ is an omnidirectional light. He's not like the sun, and yet we can cause divisions to block that light. Our sinful nature, every time it thinks, oh, I just got to do this 1% of this thing, we're casting a shadow. Yet in today's sermon text, we see that we were called, you were called, into unity with the light. 
And so the Apostle Paul begins and he's about to address there's a lot of problems going on, a lot of divisions. And when you throw a divider up in front of the light, that divider blocks the light, casts a shadow. So he starts to address the problems in the Corinthian congregation. But before then, he begins with a gospel encouragement. I urge you, brothers, through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep on saying the same thing and that there be no divisions among you. Notice where this comes from. It's not that we agree to disagree. It's not that you find a power in yourself. It's not that we become mindless zombies going, yes, we are all in unity. It only comes through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's names always reveal to us what he does for us. Lord, that tells us that Jesus exists in and of himself. True God, begotten of all eternity, the master and ruler of this universe. Jesus. That tells us he's the incarnate Savior. And Christ tells us he's the only one, not you, not I. He's the only one that was anointed to save us. And the only power we have for true Christian unity is in Christ. Not in our own efforts, not in our own works. And so we're told that he says that you keep on saying the same thing and there be no divisions among you. When we say the same thing, and again, I'm not talking about mindlessly being brainwashed. What are we doing when we say the same thing? We're confessing. One of the greatest ways that the Christian church in history has said the same thing is to draw together a creed, a confession, a statement of belief from the scriptures. If it contradicts the scriptures, it must be rejected. And so we have, for example, the Apostle, the Nicene, and the Athanasian Creed. We have our Lutheran Confessions. Brothers and sisters in Christ, these are not the word of God. They're drawn from the word of God. And as a child, one of the blessings God gave me and the parents I had is seeing, for example, when friends were asking them what they believe or about a particular thing, seeing in my parents, boom, start confessing out of the Apostle or Nicene Creed, having said it so many Sundays in their lives, it was just in there. And they were able to join in the Christian church. You know, the Nicene Creed, the the original rough draft skeleton written about 315 A.D. The Apostles' Creed actually began as a baptismal confession and eventually grew to about 250 A.D. to the wording we still use today. Isn't that amazing? When you confess what those creeds say, because they're drawn from the Scripture, you are confessing what the Christian church has confessed pretty much since the day Jesus sent people out to baptize. That gives us the same speech. Knowing the law and the gospel and understanding the purpose of each and how to apply them gives us the same speech. Knowing to pour like a bucket of blood on our brother and sisters in Christ's sin, knowing to pour the blood of the Lamb on them removes our divisions. He continues with that unity there. We've seen so far unity and confession. The word of God is what we must know and our confessions are drawn from it. And even if we're not directly quoting something like the Apostles Creed, if we are paraphrasing the word of God in accord with the word of God, you are confessing the same faith that Abraham confessed, that Peter and Paul, etc. have confessed throughout the existence of mankind. But he says yet that you be basically in a state of having been thoroughly prepared in the same way of thinking and the same outcome of thinking. Now, the Greek word that I translate as same way of thinking by context, that's the organ where you think. That's the mindset you have. What the Apostle Paul is saying here, let me give an analogy. 
Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's famous character, Sherlock Holmes. He had a process through which he looked for information and through which he filtered information. And Watson would ask him, Sherlock, how did you arrive? How did you come to know that this was the guilty guy? And what did Sherlock Holmes say? Elementary, Dale Watson. Elementary. You have a way of thinking, maybe not quite the same way as Sherlock Holmes, but that was a way of thinking. And your way of thinking is the word of God. It's law, God's Ten Commandments, and it's gospel. It's the good news that the light has shone on you and has just removed your sin by the blood of the Lamb. We think the same way. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, you may differ with me on what color our carpet should be or what time we worship. But we come together thinking, let's look at this and see what gives the most glory to God in our unique circumstances. What is the best stewardship in the proclamation in shining the light on others? And so that other word, I translate that the same outcome of thinking. We might say judgment. That comes because all of our decisions begin by saying we are in unity with the light how can we use this to shine the light of Christ? And we may recognize, yes, it's best to get a blue-colored carpet or to have worship at 1015 for Lord of Lords Evangelical Lutheran Church because, because we are focused on shining the light of Christ. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is not a robotic unity that's programmed into us or beat into us by the law. It's a unity that only comes through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you're called into unity with the light. Jesus is the light. He's the truth. He's the one that shines out in this dark world, that forgiveness comes from him and him alone, and that it is his free gift to you. You're called into unity in confession, in mindset, and decisions. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, in our gospel lesson, not only did we see that Jesus is the light, but in Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 18, we see him calling men to be, shall we say, reflectors of that light. He calls Andrew and his brother, we know him as Peter, and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Then the next two men that are called to be disciples the same day, shortly thereafter, are John and his brother James. They are called to reflect that light by proclaiming that light. And again, we've already covered that has to come in the truth, not compromising God's word. And so as we look at unity and proclaiming the indivisible light, the Apostle Paul says in verse 11, For it was clearly shown to me concerning you, my brothers, by Chloe's people, that there are disputes among you. The minute we have disputes that step outside of the same way of thinking and the same decision, the same result of thinking... We're putting up dividers, and like I said, it's a limping analogy, but if you put up a wall outside or a fence, the sun, it's going to cause a shadow. And notice that the Apostle Paul goes right to the witnesses. Have you ever had Christians who actually have bad intentions, their sinful natures winning out, and they tell you a rumor about somebody? You didn't hear this from me, but and, and, and the real reason is they just want you to go after that person. That's not right. I have had to, at times as a pastor, take members aside and say, I'm hearing rumors. But if I'm hearing rumors, I really can't admonish somebody for their sin. I have to check and see if there is a sin, first of all. 
But the members of Chloe's household, Paul is willing to immediately call them as witnesses. This can't be denied. This is there. And they didn't do this as tattletales. They did this with that same uh, way of thinking and the same decision of thinking because they saw the divisions that were causing shadows, that were blocking the light. They probably, we could assume, tried to fix that in their congregation. And when they couldn't, they appealed to a higher source, to the Apostle Paul. They, out of love, were not tattletelling. They were trying to shine the light on the situation. And Paul could cut through a whole lot of human problems by saying, here's the witnesses. They cannot be denied. And what are the quarrels? Verse 12. Now I'm saying to you that namely, that each of you is saying, I myself am of Paul, or I myself am of Apollos, or I myself am of Cephas, or I myself am of Christ. While several people are named here, there's really only two divisions. Each one is saying they follow this person. This is the person they're hitching their wagon to. This is the mindset they're going with. Now, the first group is focusing on the messengers, the ones that Jesus had sent to proclaim the good news. You have Paul, who's an apostle, and Cephas, that's the Aramaic name for the apostle you and I know as Peter, Apollos, you can tell by his name, was Greek and probably very good in philosophy and logic, but Apollos was an evangelist. Well, Paul was studying to be a rabbi. I think he knows more of the Old Testament than that plain old fisherman, Peter. Well, Apollos, he's an evangelist. and Man, he knows from those Greeks. He really knows how to put on a good sermon. He, he can really use rhetoric and speech instruments. When we focus more on the messenger then the message, we have a problem. Sometimes we complain because the pastor is boring. Remember, one of the greatest speech givers in history was Adolf Hitler. The message is what's important, not the messenger. Before I move on, let me add one more thing there. Especially today, we hear people talking about Pauline theology. And Johinian theology, that would be the Apostle John in his gospel and his three epistles in Revelation. Or Petrian theology, that would be what Peter taught in his epistles. As if one apostle or one evangelist who wrote the New Testament wrote things that contradicted the other and they each had different theology. Paul here is already addressing this. No, no, no. They all say we are saved by grace alone. They all give the law its proper place. They all proclaim the light. They all make it abundantly clear that we've got to get the word right. True unity comes from having that word right. If we're coming up with a false light, we're not in unity with the light of Christ. And so, when we start pitting books of the Bible against each other, we're already addressing it as unbelievers in the darkness. They have different messages to different people, but the overall outcome and everything they teach is in accord with each other when we recognize what they're writing, who they're writing to, and we understand they were all inspired by one Holy Spirit to shine the light of Christ. Now, I've told you there's only two camps here. The first camp is focusing on the messenger. Now, the second camp, that would almost seem good, wouldn't it? I myself am of Christ. I follow Christ. But there's a little bit more to this or else Paul wouldn't have had to list it. See, we often can make two mistakes. I've already mentioned the one we can focus too much on the messenger instead of the message. But there are those who will deny that Christ sends messengers. Many people who say things like, I don't need to go to church. I think organized religion is a sham. 
I can worship God in my own ways. They are denying the fact that God makes it clear that He has chosen to send messengers. This is how He teaches His Word. Yes, He's given us His Word and we're blessed. You can study it at home and I encourage you to. But He's also sent brothers and sisters in Christ to whom He wants you to share the Word and whom He wants to edify you with the Word as well. Christ has chosen to work this way and clearly does. So the other camp is denying that Christ uses messengers. And that quickly leads to a division where we end up having people who say, I don't need to go to church. I'll worship God my own way. Uh Uh-uh. That's not how it works. If you're not worshiping God the way God proclaims, it's because we live in darkness. We'll be botching it. So you're called into unity with the light, a unity and confession, mindset and decision, but the light is indivisible. And so the Apostle Paul says that. Has Christ been divided? You know, sadly, some of the great controversies that happened and the reason why we even have the Nicene Creed is because people actually tried to divide up Christ. Jesus is true God who became true man. It's not like his two natures were put into a blender and we came out with something new, ingredient Z. No. But it's not like those two are are, are separable. They are connected to each other in the one Savior, Jesus Christ, and inseparably in communication with each other. This is why some churches can't accept that Jesus' body and blood are present in the Lord's Supper, because they say, how can the finite contain the infinite? But they're dividing up Christ. Once you divide up the light, you end up with the shadow. Christ is undivided, true God and true man who is eternally our Savior. And so Paul then focuses on what happens when we focus on the messenger instead of the one who sent the messenger. He says, was Paul crucified on your behalf or were you baptized into Paul's name? Brothers and sisters in Christ, the effectiveness in the message is not the messenger. If somebody baptized you and later you found out they were an unbeliever, your baptism is still valid. Now, if we know somebody's an unbeliever, we're not going to ask them to baptize us. But we've got to be careful. It's not the pastor who makes Christ's body and blood present in the Lord's Supper. It's the power of the Word of God and the light, the indivisible light. This is why Paul says in verse 14, I give thanks that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized into my name. Yet I also baptized Stephanus' household. Beyond that, I have no knowledge if I baptized someone else. In other words, either they're lying or, yeah, I might have baptized somebody and forgot it. But Paul here, he's not downplaying baptism. He did baptize people in Corinth, but he said, the primary thing I was sent to do as an apostle was to share the word of God. And since there's these divisions among you, I'm glad that you guys can't be saying, well, I was baptized by Paul. I'm a better Christian than you. I have got more Christian powers than you do. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you ever have the opportunity to share the word with an unbelieving neighbor and you get worried that you can't argue them into believing? Rejoice, that's not your job. It's good to be able to answer their questions, don't get me wrong. Christ is the light. You are a messenger. You're to be a reflector pole that shines that light. That's what we're called to do because we're called into unity in proclaiming the indivisible light. And so the Apostle Paul says in verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to keep on preaching the gospel. Not in the sphere of wise speaking. Again, when we look for pastors in that, and, and certainly if they're horrible speakers, maybe there's something we got to talk about. But when we start focusing more on the gifts instead of the message, remember, one of the greatest speakers in history was Adolf Hitler. And look at how well that turned out. No, what does he say? If we're focusing on the guy who can show the most emotions and the best speeches and everything, he says, so that the cross of Christ would not be emptied. 
God uses sinners to show that we need the light and they reflect the light. When we start focusing too much on the messenger, then we take Christ right off that cross and forget him in the tomb and forget the empty tomb. It becomes exercises in rhetoric. It becomes self-help groups and we lose the light of eternal salvation. We rejoice though. You yourselves are lights. And believe it or not, even when you don't realize it, the light of Christ is reflecting off of you at work and with your family. I mentioned one of the ways my parents would have had no idea that God was using them to teach me an important truth. But we reflect that light in unity with the light. And so, yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, this world, because of the devil's lie, because of our sinful nature, it's a world of propaganda. And when it comes to salvation, we are blind people groping around into the darkness. But the light has come and he shines in many different directions. And you are called into unity with the light, the light of salvation, a unity in confession, in mindset and decision and a unity in proclaiming that indivisible light. Amen. Now, God will also conform you until the end without accusation on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.